Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Outspoken with White and Jordan. Hard-edged, hard-nosed, hard to beat. Where are you coming from in this one? Your 100% essential download. Jim White and Simon Jordan. You let this get out of control. Outspoken with White and Jordan. From the world's biggest sports radio station, Talk Sport. Hi and thanks for downloading Outspoken, the podcast that brings you the very best of our daily talk sports show. Simon and myself were joined by Martin Keon to discuss Saudi's influence on the game as talk of Mo Salah's future circulates. Plus, has Mike Dean thrown every VAR official in the country well and truly under the bus? Simon, we've said it before and we'll say it again. The Saudis, sure... They're here, and they're very much here for the here and now. I mean, you said in time, yeah, maybe in time, much mm. further down the line, yeah. they they might make a dent on uh, what other leagues are trying to do. Well, they've got everybody talking today, and that they're actually having a laugh up their own sleeves over in Saudi Arabia this morning because the mood there is that the UK media has gone crazy for this uh, story one of speculation it has to be said about Mo Salah to Saudi Arabia um, this went nuts overnight Salah was trending all night is he really off to Saudi Arabia what are they offering if it was to come about what would they offer well Al Ittihad was a club and if it came to the bit that he was to say yes and of course this morning Liverpool are saying no there's nothing to report here more than that in a second but when it broke down, and when the figures are, are broken down, 177 million over two years is what's being reported. Breaks down to 88 million per year, 7.38 million per month, 1.8 million pounds per week. If Salah had been in line to join Al Etihad, it was reckoned he'd be earning 263,000 pounds a day. In the last few moments, Jurgen Klopp has said, forget it, nothing's going on here. It's always a bit difficult to, to, to talk about media stories. So because there's nothing to talk about from our point of view. We don't have another uh, Moselle's Liverpool player. Obviously for all the things we do, essential was, will be. So there's nothing there. If there would be something, the answer would be no. But that's it, pretty much. My, my life philosophy, or one part of my life, is, is uh, I think about a problem when I have it. That's um, enough time then, because there is absolutely nothing in the moment. So, um, if there's something coming up that I don't think um, or I don't know, yeah, then I can think about that. But I said already, it's, um, if there would be something, it would be a no. And in Mo, you still say your players fully committed to Liverpool Football Club? 
100%. You know, Klopp's dealt with that beautifully, Simon. He has indeed. Because the Saudis over there this morning say, nothing really going on. Yeah. Uh, Al-Etihad won last night. Uh, there's no talk of Salah. In fact, Benzema's a headline story this morning because he scored. Jota came on for 31 minutes. The UK media, uh, they tell us this morning, making quite a lot of something that there isn't really much to make a lot of. And it, and I was told this morning, Alexander Mitrovic is the other headline story because Al-Halal won 4-0 and he was on the score sheet there. What is interesting is that the Saudi transfer deadline date is after this one here, mm-hmm. but it's September the 7th. Yep. It's September the 7th. So no Salah for the moment. But here's the thing, Simon. This league over there can be a disruptor here anytime, anytime it likes. Because a, a pebble was yeah. really thrown into the pool last night. But but that's always been the observation. I mean, I'm not entirely sure how relevant it is that their window stays open because ours closes. And I'm assuming that if ours closes, it closes, does it, go, does it only goes one way, does it? We can still sell on the way out. Okay, then that does need to be fixed because it's ridiculous to have a situation where leagues are operating in very different manners. And we've seen that previously when we decided to operate differently and then corrected it ourselves yeah. because we saw the disadvantages of that. This is an inevitability. Until there is a desire, or until the Saudis want to come and play in the big boys league in football terms, not the economic league where they can do as precisely as they want, but in the leagues where football really matters in terms of trying to index themselves to world football in the in the form of the Champions League or whatever other guises they want to. They're going to do this until someone says, you can't do that because you have to fall in line with what everybody else has to fall in line with. But you with, say the Champions like, League, they want to join the Champions League. Well, of course League. they do. They want a team in the Champions League. And, that, and that's League. fantastic. They, they, you know, I want to go, as soon as two years you know, from I now. I want to go out on a date with Margot Robbie, but it doesn't mean it's going to happen. <laughs> the bottom line is, is that there's a situation where no one is going to allow them to come into the Champions League if they're coming in as a disruptor. And a disruptor means, in perpetuity, breaking the economic model, destroying the financial landscape, not for football reasons, but for their own reasons, and the product that they're using to do it and utilise the attention is football. And I don't believe that UEFA, who've made this song and dance, this whole pony and trap scenario about the idea that financial fair play is underpinning the fabric of football, are going to say to the Saudis, in you come, on the basis of the fact that everybody else is being ruined by your financial landscape because you have more oil than people can shake a stick at and the economics of football you don't care about. So right now, because it's transfer deadline time and because it's a transfer window, it's lots of noise. Let's see how much discussion we're talking about in the middle of October about the Saudi League. Not very much. We'll start talking again about it in December because up will come the January transfer window Correct. and people will start indexing the It's fact making waves, isn't it, with the huge money. That's the dent. I mean, the amount of players we're losing out there. I mean, Mitrovic is another player who... Ordinarily, those goals kept Fulham in the Premier League last year. So I know there's a lot more to Fulham, but they've lost yeah. that now. Yeah. And and Liverpool, I suppose, when you look at Firmino, Henderson, Fabinho, and well, indirectly Mane is now playing over there in, in Saudi Arabia. Chelsea as well. I mean, three or four Chelsea players have gone there. Koulibaly, mm. uh, Mendy, top players, Jim, are now going across to play in Saudi Arabia. So mm. it can only get better the league. Uh, the competition is the is the competition really there? Is the depth of player there? Probably not. But it, one day it will be if they're going to spend money in this manner. Well, the thing and that's is, fine. Simon, and no one has a problem with that. But what you cannot deny is that they're emboldened no, by what's going on. No, no, no. They've never not been emboldened. They have money to turn out everybody's lights. That emboldenedness was already there. 
right? What they need to be able to do is have an opportunity to capitalise on the fact that they're now prepared to do whatever it takes, whether it's a byproduct of the Qatari World Cup and the issues in the Middle East about who's the top dog in that particular region. All of those come into play. But the bottom line is, is they will always be emboldened. They've got more money than everybody. Yeah. And they are emboldened enough to try and buy every asset that this country's got. The only thing that will stop it is the same principle that the Americans want to deploy, which is why the debate's going for the Senate about Live Golf Tour and stuff like this, where they don't allow nation states to own assets that are significant to the countries in which these assets are being bought from. Yeah. So with that in mind, your argument constantly is they're emboldened. They can be as emboldened as they want. They don't own world football. They're not going to own world football. World football is going to allow them to develop. And when they want to become a proper meaningful league, playing as a meaningful league with the big boy leagues, they're going to be brought in line economically. By that time, they'd have had two or three years to do what they want. Nothing wrong with that. But you Nothing cannot deny in a matter of... And I listen, I'm no spokesperson for the Saudi Pro League, but I can read what's going on here. You cannot deny they have made major strides in weeks... In weeks. Mitrovic, you bet I'm no, going. No, they've made lots of noise. They're what offering you, players £1.84 yes. million and that's pounds per and week. And that's currently all they have to offer. All they have to offer is economics. And ultimately, if that gets brought to a stop, which it will be in the end, right... What will they have to offer then? Now, if they've been able to build this uber-competitive league with 18 teams in its first division or its Premier League and 18 teams in its second, and all of a sudden all of these teams have superstars in every single component part and the league is competitive, then maybe we'll have something to worry about. But by that time also, they'll have to join the UEFA's, uh, the Champions Leagues of the world mm. if they're able to do that, and they will not be enabled to be continuing doing what they're doing. And they'll be back to a level playing field. And what are you going to do then, then? When Saudis have to pay the same money are you going to choose some club in the desert with due respect in the league that's beginning to get some energy behind it or are you going to choose Liverpool or Manchester United or Juventus or Arsenal or Real Madrid or all of these legacy clubs I'm pretty sure that once the playing field is levelled which it will have to be and it will never to be will be ask a former player if it wasn't well, about Mark, the economics let's ask a former player Martin when well, it boils down <laughs> to it what would you say yes to playing here in a traditionally top, top league, regarded as a top, top league, with all the heritage that Simon talks about, or playing out in the desert for well, money that blows your mind? Of course. I, for me, at the moment, the Premier League is like football utopia because you've got fantastic competition, you've got the best players, and you're earning a fortune. I'm not really sure why. I mean, okay, Jim, what's happening now is people securing the legacy of their of generational uh, fruit of families. You know, it's like 10 generations of money that they're getting overnight. So that's what's turning their heads and going there. And okay, maybe for the end of your career, and people may, Henderson maybe looked at it that way, Jim, but I don't see why they really, as a young man, you want to go much further away than, than the English Premier League. Your 100% essential download. Outspoken with White and Jordan. It's a big, big fight this weekend over in uh, Poland. It's Daniel Dubois. Can he do what many people feel is well-nigh impossible and beat Oleksandr Usyk? Don't forget, TalkSport will bring you live and exclusive heavyweight commentary of Usyk defending his three world titles against Daniel Dubois in Poland tomorrow night. We're delighted. Uh, if uh, the magic of technology can work here that on YouTube and Facebook you're able to see this man as well as hear him Frank Warren, Dubois boxing promoter joins us live on the show Frank, good morning Good morning Jim, good morning Simon, how are you? 
Morning, Frank. We're very well. Uh, how's it going over there in that part of the world? Rocklov, I think, in uh, in Poland. Um, it's looking good. I think the stadium fight is going to be enormous as far as we gather. It is. It is. It's a 44,000-seat stadium, and uh, it's going to be obviously full of Ukrainians. Uh, there won't be too many Brits here. So uh, Daniel's going into the lion's den, but he's in a good frame of mind at the moment. I mean, his trainer was in this very studio, Don Charles, and quite rightly talking up Daniel's chances, uh, Frank, saying to us, one thing Daniel can do is he's a puncher and uh, he, he is as quick as hell. So he is the man, according to Don Charles, who more than any other at this particular time can give Usyk problems. I think he's more than a puncher. He's got a great jab. He's, got, he's, he's actually quite fast um, and... Uh, you know, he's in a, as I say, most important is I've just said, he's in a great frame of mind. And that's for me, is 90% of it. Mentally for him, it's 90% of it. And these, he stays how he is, he's going to have a great chance of pulling this off. And I genuinely believe he will do. Frank, Jim just built it in the opening in a lot of people's minds as an impossible task. I don't think it's an impossible task. I think it's a difficult task. But if he's, if he's able to do it, Frank, how do you envisage he's able to execute? Well, what I, I mean, for me, what he needs to do, he needs to do what Anthony Joshua didn't do, which he needs to be, use his physical attributes. He needs to be on the front foot. He needs to work, work off his jab. I don't want him going looking for big shots. I want him to work off his jab, relax, and work his way into the fight, and he'll find those, and those big punches will come. And he's capable of doing that. There's no doubt about it. And as for upsets, you know, this is a conversation I remember quite a few years ago when Tyson Fury was going to fight Klitschko, who was the best of his generation, and he was a massive underdog, according to everybody. So, you know, there are the upsets in some people's minds happen. For me, I don't think it would be an upset. I think, he, I, think he's, uh, I think he has a great chance of pulling it off. I mean, I think a lot of people are suggesting, Frank, that his best chance... I mean, all, they're all saying the same thing as you, which is that his physicality and the very manner in which Anthony Joshua didn't fight him in the first fight is the way that he has to fight him now. But the preparedness to jump on him early and to, and to impose himself upon Usyk is the key component. You're saying something slightly different. You're saying that he has to wait for his opportunity and when it's there, take it. Is that, is that right or have I misunderstood that? No, I think you misunderstood me. What I'm saying is that as soon as that first bell goes, he's got to take the centre of the ring yeah. and he's got to be on the offensive. But I don't want him going and having a, a, you know, just going out there and throwing bombs. I want him to go out there and work behind his jab and be measured and be sensible like he has been in a lot of the fights where he stopped people. That's what he needs to do. Nothing different than that. That's what he needs to do. He's in with a very, very good fighter who was probably the best of his generation at cruiserweight. He's had five fights, I think, now four or five fights at heavyweight. But he's, the guys, all the guys he's fought have all been older men. None of them have been in their 20s. They've all been older guys. He's fighting a young guy who's a hungry fighter. That's what he's got in front of him now. Frank, is there a, a rematch clause in the contract? And if not, what, what does uh, the pathway look like for Daniel? Should he upset the apple cart and win tomorrow night? Well, he, there isn't a rematch clause in there because it's a mandatory defence. And whoever wins the fight will go on and fight and challenge Tyson in a unification match. That would be next. Right, I'm with you. Okay, so, uh, I mean, so much at stake for Dubois. That will happen. That, 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 will, that will happen. That will change the landscape dramatically, won't it, Frank? Because it will put you in the box seat. Well, because that's if, what this, so you'll have a big grin on your face if Daniel wins this fight even more than you would start with in the first place because you will then have... 
the unification of the two fighters under your jurisdiction to some extent. Listen, mate, I'll out Cheshire the cats if he comes through, and I believe he will do. But the, but, the, but the bottom line is, whatever the result is, there will be a unification match early next year. I mean, the big worry must be that really meaningful fight that's happening in October against Ngannou, because we must be very worried about Tyson coming through that one, Frank. <laughs> no, at all. It's, listen, you're, you, you I'm being well facetious. I've said to you all along, I know you are, you silly son. But, I, but I'm telling you, <laughs> it will be a huge event. It will be a huge event. And I'll tell you why it'll be a huge event. Because Tyson, like I've been telling you, is a massive box office attraction. That's why my argument all along was what his worth is. And his worth is shown each time he gets involved in different aspects of, 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 of entertainment. For example, the Netflix is number one show. It's the number one show on Netflix. He is the number one attraction on a channel that has 500 million subscribers. Three books he's done all went to number one. As I said to you, last year he broke the uh, box office records for Wembley and so forth. That, Frank, that, 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 that might be great. And, I mean, and, well you've done got, and you've got Frank, well done with Netflix and everything else, but all everybody wanted to see was Tyson fighting Yusek. Oh, what? So those people on Netflix don't want to see it then? Well, I presume they do, but they don't want to see Tyson. As far as they're well, well, the Netflix thing, Simon and but I are on it more no, than Furious. Right. Well, let me just tell you something. When We're that show's on, when that event, when that when that event when that event is on with with uh, Nagano, it's going to be huge. And you can then tell me afterwards if it doesn't do numbers, you can tell me it was a failure. Oh no, Frank. We all know that commercially it's going to be wonderful. But there's this there's this wonderful YouTube kid called Bippy that's doing these videos. It's made him a billionaire. He gets 400 million views doing kids shows. But it doesn't alter the landscape that we're talking about. Tyson, we're wanting to see him in the next big fight. So what we're hoping is that this Ngannou situation that you've engineered and well done you for structuring deals that open different gateways that gets everyone a big wheelbarrow of money then moves on to the proper business in hand which is the grown-up fights that we want well if he'd have been available and he just stepped up we'd have put the fight on but as i told you all along he wasn't available and if you'd have watched the bt uh, round table you would have seen and what i've been saying all along there have been no offers we're the only ones who've made offers but anyway that's all past now the fight will take place tomorrow Whoever wins that, and I believe it'll be Daniel, but if it's the other guy, he will face Tyson next year. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, 
That plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Download. Stand well back. Listen. Outspoken with White and Jordan. From the world's biggest sports radio station. Talk sport. Former Premier League referee Mike Dean has revealed that um, he refused to intervene in one of last season's glaring VAR controversies because he wanted to protect his, quote, mate, the on-field official, Anthony Taylor. Very keen to get your views on this in a second, Martin. Dean was on VAR duty. Do you remember it? Chelsea's 2-2 draw against Tottenham in August last year and, and failed to highlight Christian Romero's hair pull on Cucurella's locks in the final minutes of the game. And then from a corner, Kane added in a 96-minute equaliser. A clash took place between the coaches at the time. Chelsea's Tuchel and Tottenham's Conte uh, really went nose-to-nose. This was Tuchel at the time post-match. There's only one team who deserves to win, it's us. But unfortunately, we have two goals that should be disallowed in, in times of war. It's incredible and it's... it's it's very hard to, to accept, uh, to concede two goals like this in, in, in ages of war. And since when can we pull hair on a football field? Is that a new rule, that we pull hair and get away with it and then the next corner is played? It's, it's a red card, that's it. Have you spoken to the officials? No, for what? For what? For what should I speak? It's, it's, honestly, it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's, will they take it back? Hopefully they come out and admit how bad performance this is because it's, 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 it's super decisive. So that was Tuchel at the time. And who was on VAR duty that day? It was Mike Dean. And Mike Dean has chosen to open up on that uh, very subject on this podcast, which I hear is extremely successful, Upfront Podcast featuring a certain Simon Jordan. This was Dean speaking for the first time yesterday on this very topic. I made a few mistakes as VR. I missed the stupid hair pull at bloody Chelsea Tottenham, which was pathetic from my point of view. And it's one of them where if I had my time again, what would I do? I'd, I'd send Anshu to the screen. I think that I knew he was never sent to the screen. I've, I've said this before, is that... He's cautioned both managers. He's had a hell of a game. It's been such a tough game end-to-end. And I said to Andy afterwards, I, said, I, just, I just didn't want attention to the screen after what's gone on in the game. And Andy said, it doesn't matter what goes on in the game. I, I didn't want to set him up because he's, he's a mate as well as, as a referee. And I think I didn't want to set him up because he didn't want any more because what he's already had. And, and Andy's he's big and bold enough and ugly enough to know for a while that if he's going to the screen, he's going to the screen for a reason. And mm. I think that it's a, a really bad, really, really bad call by me and it kind of affected... Me as VR going forward, probably right. missed a few games because I think if you, I said before about, you know, if you're referee, you te- get out of the limelight. That was a major, major error. And I think from my point of view, I was so disappointed because if they don't score from it, it's not a big an issue. But I knew for well, then I'd be stood down the week after. I asked to take a bit of time off because it just wasn't for me. I used to get in the car on a Friday night and drive to dreading Saturday because right. you used to sit in the chair and I said things up, open nothing. I used to be petrified sitting in the chair right. thinking, Come on, the guy goes down the voice, give the pen, give the pen. Oh, he's give the pen. Are you happy, Daisy? Give the right. pen. Right, so it took you out of the I responsibility. Would... Yeah. I mean, Martin, I know you're listening to that extremely closely, but just to recap there, Dean saying on Simon's podcast up front that he didn't want to send Taylor to the screen because of the grief that he'd already had in the game. Now, Dean was taken off VAR as a result of that. 
And now you hear that, you're not surprised. Yeah, and, and you know, <clears throat> the thing about it is, he's, he's trying to protect a friend, he's trying to protect a mate. And when you're in a position of authority like this, is this is about, I'm just looking at the integrity and the honesty of this. I mean, we, the ramifications were huge on that day for, for both managers. Tuchel lost the plot completely, the injustice of what was, was happening around him. And it was happening because the chap in VAR was trying to protect his mate, who was the referee. So, I mean, I just can't believe and fathom that through. He's speaking very quick, Jim, in that. And I know that you're interpreting what he's saying. But if he's just trying to protect a mate, it's just completely wrong. And I'm pretty, well, now we know why he's been pulled out. Obviously, he's been making lots of mistakes. But a man like that shouldn't really be in the VAR chair. And you wonder... You know, I then start to look at this particular guy. I don't want to, other ref, fans will look at it and, you know, a conspiracy theory or the Arsenal fans for many years felt, oh, hold on a minute. What's going on? What's coming into his mind? What should come into his mind is what's rightful, the right decisions in that moment. And you shouldn't be in a job of that importance. If it is that something comes into your mind, there's on other than the truth and justice on the day. I think it's remarkable what he's saying there. I know he's been honest, but I don't want to hear it. I honestly don't want to hear that he's tried to protect his mate above all else. And what he's there for is to make sure that the, the rules are upheld and the game is played in a fair manner. And that simply did not happen. I watched it that day, Cucurella, start of last season. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. Mm. But it, I thought he missed it. But he didn't miss it. He just wanted to protect his mate. That's just unbelievable. I mean, in that exchange yeah. there, Simon... You were quiet for the first time in your life. <laughs> but you were quite rightly letting Mike Dean speak, as you yeah. would. Yeah. Could you believe what he was saying to you? Well, look, contextually, you have to take it into the framework of the entire hour that he spoke, because what he was doing was being very fluid and very candid, and also talking about the clear delineation, delineation, delineation between his capability as a referee on the field and his capability as a VAR official. And he was very clear in the fact that he didn't feel that he was able to be a VA. He wasn't taken out by the PGMOL. He decided that this wasn't for him. And in conjunction with them, they both came to that conclusion. Now, when you look at it's it... It's kind of 50-50, isn't it? Well, Sam? I think there was... You, you could make the argument, and he wasn't defending the, the accusation about me suggesting that he was pushed before he... You know, jumped before he pushed. I mean, he's very but, honest. He's but really he spoke, honest but What he you. spoke about very candidly yeah. was his inability to be a VAR official. It wasn't for him. He couldn't do it. He couldn't find the ability to be able to use a technology the way he wanted to. He struggled with the concept of a very different role than being on the field. Now, if we want to conflate that into his on-field performances, then that's our gift. He's opened that particular door. But contextually, when I was listening to him, I thought there's somebody making subjective decisions like we all do in life, and we all make subjective decisions. Now, the language that he used, I don't think is what he was trying to impart, that he was suggesting that he was sparing his friend, but it sounds precisely like what it sounds. That's what he was doing. But if you listen to the entire interview rather than that excerpt, you'll have a very different view of Mike Dean, but he's opened the door, and one of the criticisms that the PGMO... The PGMO didn't want people to come on and do an, an interview, and I was very irritated and had a very strong conversation with Howard Webb about the fact that we're staunch defenders of the refereeing fraternity and that actually giving them a voice is a very useful tool. And so Mike has come on, ultimately, after he's left the PGMOL, is now doing it in, in Sky, and you have to listen to this interview in all of its entirety to get an opinion on it, but that was a part that will no doubt lend itself to the conclusion that Martin's but, just but he's, he's misinterpreting, isn't he, the role of a referee. So he's, the, he's not the referee on the pitch, but he's the referee in the VAR room. 
So ultimately, he has to come to the right decision. So if you're going to start talking about protecting people, then you do open yourself up to your integrity over the years. I think he's also, if you listen to it, when he talks about the tariff being, I think he's telling you that he wasn't capable of being a VAR operative. Well, when then someone, he wasn't capable of being a referee well, when, then, no, was he? Very, very, different skill, very different skill sets. And what he was saying is sitting in that chair, mm. watching the VAR, dreading a decision having to be made, a penalty's been given, he's dreading having to be involved in it. That is someone patently telling you that the VAR role that he was assigned... It wasn't for him. ...was not for him. It wasn't for him. And that's exactly what I take out of it, Simon. But that... I mean, when, when you, when you contextualise it, yes. But the section we heard from Dean... Not unsurprisingly, from your podcast, Simon, was picked up everywhere last night. Mike Dean was trending last night. I remember Dean used to sit in our place in Qatar at breakfast and he would engage with you and have great discussions about football in general. But here, he knows with Simon in this podcast, he is on the record. He is. And he's on the record as saying, I didn't want to send him to the screen because he's a mate. As well as a yeah, referee. Is, all he should be concerned with, Jim, because is the right de- making, the right, grief. making the right decision. That's his role and responsibility. Look, this, start, conspiracy this starts to... Start yeah, happening. but I start to think this is dr- deceitful. And then I think, well, is it even fraudulent? These are massive ramifications here. You're no, in a position... I think, I dis- think, deceitful, no, no, no. I, don't, I, think, I think you're disappearing into hyperbole here. Not really. I, not I, really. And I've seen Not a really, lot of the reaction, and I've seen that the media have picked up and run with this particular story, and now that the refereeing fraternity will probably reject... No, but Simon, let me ask you this. What do we really know? How many other officials working in the VAR truck have decided... He's my mate. No, no, Jim. Don't I, go I, to the screen. No, I don't, don't think go we're going to the no, screen. No, I don't think that's happening, Can't Blanche. I think this the referee by... How do you know that? No... I'm not prepared to go that far. This is someone that is declaring that he has made, he's tried to protect a friend, and that's very wrong. And maybe he's coming out with that now. And he wants to do it, but Jim, it this is, is someone saying that they work, they couldn't do the job as a VAR. We are, they're saying they're two different skills. He's saying I was not capable of doing this job. I wasn't capable of doing it, and as a result of it, I made decisions that were So do you think it's a one-off? Or do you think there's other officials in the VA truck who, similar to Dean, aren't capable of doing that job? Well, it depends if they think they're capable. I mean, he he clearly is saying in this interview, I couldn't do VAR. I, I, I embraced VAR. I think it's a wonderful addition to the game. I think it's a necessary evil to serve a far greater good. But for me, I couldn't do it. I couldn't operate the it's way I operated on the pitch. Well, what do we want from people? Do we want people to be honest and admit their mistakes and, and put themselves in the way of, a, of, a, of the court of a public opinion and say, this was an error? I Chelsea was fans sub- wanted to go home from Stamford Bridge with a win that day. And, and, and Chelsea fans will want their manager to pick the right player at times, and sometimes he won't. And sometimes they'll make decisions based upon their own subjectivity. I'm not it. condoning it. I'm simply saying that it's a broader perspective than the isolated um, part that we've played. And I do think there's something commendable about the fact he's got the balls to come and say it. I don't think anything commendable about this. I think it's totally unacceptable. Totally unacceptable, uh, his, his behaviour in all this, Jim. Um, and really, we don't want that type of person um, connected to the game. You, you have to go there totally unbiased and make your call in that VAR room. And I'm pretty certain no one else in that room now, Howard Webb is like cleaning that place out, making sure the right people are there. And we have to believe that the referees are doing this in an honest manner every week. Otherwise, there's no point in playing. Your 100% essential download. Outspoken with White and Jordan. Simon, this um, developing story, Martin, you, you're aware of it yourself. Luis Rubiales 
um, the, the the Spanish the president of the Spanish Football Federation is re- refusing to step down this lunchtime following his behaviour at Sunday's Women's World Cup final. England were in that final but lost it by single goal to nil to Spain. What did Rubiales do? He kissed forward Jenny Hermoso on the lips during the presentation ceremony following uh, Spain's win. He had earlier reportedly grabbed his crotch as he celebrated at the final whistle. So Rubiales apologised for the kiss on Monday before FIFA stepped in, opened disciplinary proceedings against him on Thursday, and now he's under major, major pressure to resign. But this lunchtime he's saying, no, I won't be doing that. I will not resign. I will not resign, he told an extraordinary General Assembly called by the RFEF. He says, what this is, is a social assassination. I am ready to be vilified to defend my ideals. So he's saying he's not going. Now, Courtney Sweetman-Kirk, who did such great work for us here in TalkSport during the Women's World Cup, was in the stadium and, like everybody else there, viewed the thing on the big screens around the stadium. And Courtney now back and joins us live. Courtney, good afternoon to you. First things first, well done for the fantastic work you did over there in the Women's World Cup. Number two, what was your version of events and your reaction when you saw what you saw? Yeah, first of all, thank you for that, Jim. But yeah, like everyone else in in the stadium, sort of in disbelief at at what we were seeing. Um, And also there was stuff that went on after the game in terms of um, in the changing rooms allegedly as well um, unfortunately my Spanish is not too up to scratch but a lot of the players went live on Instagram um, Salma Parihuelo was sort of videoing that sort of interaction as well saying you know he wanted to take her to IB for Jenny Hermoso and stuff like that and it's just it's obviously if anyone you know knows in terms of what's gone on internally with, with the Spanish camp for the last year it's been so turbulent the, the letters that those 15 players sent to say how unacceptable the the behaviour was for many reasons with the, the federation, the, the nutrition, um, the sort of strength and conditioning, the, the training and then the behaviour of the staff. And unfortunately now we're, we're seeing that, um, you know, he doesn't want to step down, but I think, you know, his, his position's coming untenable really and someone needs to take the decision um, out of his hands because yeah, what I he's mean, doing isn't acceptable. On, on Monday, Courtney, he said, I was completely wrong, I have to admit it. Um, I have to apologise, learn from this and understand when you are president, you have to be more careful. Today he's, mm. he's saying, no, but I'm still president and I'm not going anywhere. Is it your belief, Courtney, you should step down? Yeah, I think he has to. I think and if you're doing that out in public, it begs the question in terms of what's going on behind closed doors, in terms of what people aren't seeing. And as I say, those uh, issues that those 15 players took to the Spanish FA, it seems that you know, that they're potentially right. You know, we don't know what goes on behind closed doors, but it's unacceptable behaviour in his position of power. Simon, um, would you agree that his position seemingly is untenable this Friday lunchtime? Yes, I think inevitably it is in the society that we live in. I don't know what his thinking was or what his possible explanation can be. We've got a backdrop with this scenario, with this with this, um, uh, uh, this Spanish team and the challenges they've had over the year, which would make you think anybody in a position of influence wouldn't want to put themselves in the way of any kind of debate about their behaviour. So I can't, for the life of me, fathom why this man would want to behave in this fashion. Um, I can't can't fathom why he would think that it's necessary to do what he's done. 
And I would, I would, I would love to hear what his possible, and I understand what his mitigating reaction to the, the pylon is. Well, he says it was without bad intention. Yeah, I understand that, and it probably was. But then again, that doesn't mean that that behaviour is appropriate. No one can, none, none of us, not not Courtney, not I, not the player herself, can speak to the intent of it. But we can speak to the inappropriacy of it. It's an in, inappropriate thing to do, and in this day and age, inappropriate things have consequences. Initially, they start more often than not with a desire for an apology, but we move into the territory now of saying that even apologies aren't enough. I don't know. I can't speak to the manner in which this, the, the, the challenges that this group of players have had over the last 12 mm. months. Mm. It's, now, it's now the ideal opportunity to look at the... Because they've pushed back against the framework. The framework has been, we're not changing the framework. The players will change to the framework, and they've changed the entire team. Now this president has steered into the narrative by his own stupid behaviour... To be able to say, well, perhaps there was a lot more than people understood, and the reasons why these players didn't want to play a year ago and have been removed well, from the equation Courtney, is justified. You, you were there, and you're saying, yeah, for, for in everybody's best interest, it's probably best that he steps down. Do you go as far, Courtney, as what Irene Montero, Spain's Equality Minister, is saying this lunchtime? It's a form of sexual violence that women suffer on a daily basis. We should not assume kissing without consent is something that happens no I, I don't think it should happen that's not acceptable that needs to be um looked into for sure because you, you don't just kiss someone on the lips and, and grab their face without their um without their permission to do that so i think there needs there certainly needs to be an investigation into him but also i think everything that's come out in the last year there needs to be a massive internal investigation within the the, the spanish fa now that's independent to them to figure out what's going on with, within that federation because increasingly it's not looking um, good for the welfare of those girls. I think he has to accept, Jim, doesn't he, the, the, the consequences of his behaviour. Simple as that. And the longer he hangs about, uh, makes it even worse. He's, a, he's supposed to be a role model. He's in a position of power. And clearly that's not an acceptable behaviour from him. And he's making it even worse by hanging around. Actually, Courtney, what, one or two people are asking me to ask you uh, mm -hmm. this lunchtime. What was the reaction in the stadium at the time? Were you watching it and you think, what have I just seen there? Yeah, it, it was strange. There's, and, you know, there's the relationships that you know, players and staff, staff have. But as I say, the nature of it, and I can only speak for myself what it looked like to me. It looked inappropriate, the, the way that he did it. And, yeah, there definitely were quite a few raised eyebrows in the flash zone um, when we were watching that and, and thinking, what is he doing? That's not acceptable behaviour. And obviously Jenny Hermoso came out after and said, you know, I didn't enjoy it. Um, that that wasn't acceptable. So, you you know, it's something that obviously she wasn't expecting either. So it's, it's just not acceptable. We, we now hear, Courtney, that Rubai Alice himself asked the player to appear in what was going to be an apology video yeah. with him. But she declined that invitation. Do you think that was the right thing to do? Yeah, I, th I think it is. Again, we don't know the the whole premise behind it. But if you know, potentially he's asking her to sort of say, you know, it was, you know, he's apologising, but her almost endorsing it, saying I accept the apology, it's okay. When it's not, it was you know a similar situation to in terms of when the Spanish FA asked all those fifteen players, if you want to play again, you need to publicly apologise um, to to the Spanish Federation and, and the team. So it's just. It's sort of, it, unfortunately now, it's becoming, it, it seems, a sort of a pattern from, from the information that we have. Yes, of course, it's been, it was being watched all around the world. Uh, even Queen Letizia of Spain and her 16-year-old daughter were standing nearby that very moment. 
So mm. to be quite honest, if he's looking for supporters this lunchtime, he's pretty much on his own in this one, isn't he? Yeah, I think so. And this is where, you know, he's admitted his wrong initially. Um, you know, his belief in that probably is, you know, is he doing that to sort of just pacify people? If he, he genuinely believes he's wrong and his behaviour is not right, then I think he, he needs to realise now that he, he needs to step away from, from that position. I think, what, what do we need to learn from an incident like this, Courtney? He's even gone as far as to say this lunchtime, there are people out there, accusing me of false, uh, who are acting uh, in, a, in a manner of false fen- feminism. I mean, it, what is your take in this? What lesson can be learned? I mean, it's difficult. I think, you know, whether it's men, women, children, anything else in between, I think everyone needs to be accepted. Um, and feel safe within their workplace. And I, I think that's the main thing because I think, uh, uh, you know, Jenny Hermoso, I don't think probably feels particularly safe within his presence at the moment. Um, and as I say, the Spanish girls and the, the Spanish Federation, they, they put out and, you know, said that. I think it it just needs to be that the, the right cross-checks are in place. And, you know, everyone within those power positions is, is doing it for the right reasons and for the, you know, equality and the equity of, of, of the game. And that's not just football. It, it's within all sports. Welcome to the Coliseum of Confrontation. Outspoken with White and Jordan. Thanks for listening to Outspoken. Don't forget to leave a five-star review and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We'll be back on Monday. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway. Like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.